Welcome to the Literary Adventure Society. You're listening to Loveday Brook in the Mystery of the Black Bag. Wrong. Excuse me, Mr. Dyer? Are you ill, Miss Elm? The ubiquitous clacking of typewriter keys has stopped. I presume a medical emergency can be the only reason. I am perfectly well. I was just thinking, sir. Copying and punctuation should be your only concerns. What additional thinking is necessary? I'm working on Loveday's latest assignment, and I was thinking of what we should title this case. Title it? Do you mean to say that you named the archival cases? In the future, use a numbering system instead. It will be more efficient. I find that naming the cases after a key feature of the investigation helps me to better recall each case. Miss Elm, use numbers. But, Mr. Dyer, that would hardly be more efficient now. The cases I've already completed have been archived by title. Combining a naming system with a numbering system will only cause confusion and make it harder uh, in the future. Miss Elm! <clears throat> if we must... For the sake of continued efficiency. Perhaps this case could be called the Christmas Caper. No, that's not distinct enough of a title. What if we solve future cases during the holiday season? If this is to be an effective system... How hmm. about... I, I have it! The mystery of the black bag. That will do perfectly. Thank you for your help, sir. You certainly have a knack for this. Well, yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Anything I can do... Carry on, Miss Elm. Um, I'll be in my office if you need me. The robbery at Craigen Court Manor was discovered just past midnight on Christmas Day, 1893. I say, Stephanie. Who has written you such an absorbing letter that you can sit and read it without being distracted by Mrs. Williams and myself? It is from my mother. I am certain you must miss your family terribly this time of year. I would like much to be there, Monsieur Thomas, but the trip to France is too expensive this year. Next year I will go when I have the money. You won't be going as far as Leeds if you don't have a job, Stephanie. The guests are near gone, and if I were you, I'd get her ladyship's room ready if you want to keep yours. Up you go now. Oui, merci. Joyeux Noël, madame. Well, she didn't have to go and kiss me like that. I suppose that's on account of her French ways. They're a bit more showy with their feelings over there. Not that I minded so much, of course. <laughs> It'd be fine to see France, don't you think, Mrs. Williams? Better to stay where we are, I suppose, Rector. There's plenty enough to do here. Lord, if I knew where that girl Emily got herself! She does find herself scarce when there's extra work to be done. Patience and charity, Mrs. Williams. It's Christmas. And don't think I don't see you. Making eyes at the pot of wassail. 
I know what brings you below stairs and keeps you here long after the other guests have left. Help yourself to one last cup, Mr. Thomas. But after that, I'm sending you on your way. Christmas charity has its limits, I'm afraid. And you, with work to do tomorrow. Oh, tut, tut, Mrs. Williams. I've already written my sermon. But I don't mind if I do have just one more cup since you've offered. Take a breath now and tell me what's wrong. Lady Catherine, her things, uh, all of her beautiful jewelry, she has been robbed and it is my fault. <laughs> Good, Loveday. You're here. We have a pressing matter to undertake. You've read about the Cathro burglary, I imagine? Just this morning, in fact, in the London Ladies' Pictorial. <laughs> Hardly a trusted news publication. But never mind that now. Great things are in store for the Lynch Court office, Loveday. Scotland Yard has hit a brick wall with their investigations, and I have persuaded the superintendent that having someone on site in the house might just be the thing to break open a fresh lead. And I trust you also mentioned that the perfect man for the job is invariably a woman. You see what this is about. After the Newcastle affair, the London police are starting to take notice of the Lynch Court office. An overdue distinction in my estimation. Tell me how I can help. They want you specifically on the job, Loveday. What do you know of the details of the robbery? According to the paper, Lady Cathro lost £1,500 worth of jewellery during a holiday party at the house. I must give the London ladies pictorial some credit. That's it exactly. The Cathros were hosting a Christmas Eve party when the robbery occurred. The family and guests were merrymaking upstairs and the servants were amusing themselves downstairs. The thieves, whoever they were, were clued into the ways of the house. Thieves? Plural? That is the assumption of Scotland Yard, that there was a man or woman on the inside, and he or she helped their accomplice gain entrance to the house through a window in the hat and coat room. Lady Cathro's jewellery was kept in a safe in her dressing room. Who was in possession of the key to the safe? Lady Cathro's maid, a young French girl named Stephanie Delcroix. It was her duty to put away the jewellery, lock the safe, and keep the key until her mistress came up to bed. On the night of the robbery, however, she admits that directly after her mistress left the dressing room, she ran down to the housekeeper's room to see if any letters had come for her and remained chatting with the other servants for some time. If this was a habit of hers and the thief was cognizant of the ways of the house, he would know this also. That is the other assumption. And the Yard is focusing their inquiry into the girl's possible lovers. They have sent Inspector Bates down to stay in the area and collect all the information he can outside the house. They'd like to have someone inside to get to know the girl. And that is where I make my entrance. <laughs> I have arranged with the Cathro's housekeeper, Mrs. Williams, that you shall go undercover in the house for a niece of hers. Inspector Bates will contact you upon arrival. So, please, now, get out your notebook and I'll give you the sailing orders. Miss Elm, can you please bring me this morning's paper? There was a rather intriguing detail in the paper. That before leaving, the thief took the trouble to close the safe door and to write across it in chalk, to be let unfurnished? Scoundrels often do that sort of thing. Now, if you will get out your notebook, like I mentioned before... There is no need for such hurry. I would have you remember, Miss Brooke, that I am never in a hurry. 
I take hurry to be the special mark of the slovenly and unpunctual. Here you are, Miss Loveday, the London Ladies Pictorial. Thank you. Oh, and Miss Elm, will you send for your brother, Bert? I'll be wanting a cab shortly. I want to know if you've seen the article about the mysterious bag. Yes, yes, I read it this morning. A black bag left on a doorstep in Addington. Two mysteries occurring on the same weekend and just a few miles apart seemed singular to me. Outside of fiction, coincidences do happen a good deal. Quite right. Give me my sailing orders, as you call them, and I'll endeavour to concentrate my attention on the French maid and her lovers. Mm. That's the point on which Scotland Yard, and consequently I, wish you to fix your thoughts. You had better start for Craigen Court by the afternoon train. If you leave now... I'm that... sorry, Mr. Dyer, but I cannot possibly leave until tomorrow. Uh, Miss Brooke, when I employ you to investigate a case, I expect you to investigate... I have a previous engagement. I am attending a public reading this evening. A reading? This case is an opportunity for our office and should be given priority over your social engagements. Scotland Yard, Loveday. Scotland Yard! This is hardly a social event. I will leave on the first train tomorrow morning, and that's the end of it. Oh, it is most certainly not the end of it. This case needs to be wrapped up in an expedited time frame for the sake of the Lynch Court reputation and for my... Ah, yes. And for the sake of your twelfth night party. I understand perfectly. I would hardly prioritize an office party over the needs of an important case. Hello, hello. Your cab is here, Miss Loveday. Oh, hello. Are you talking about Twelfth Night? I've been meaning to ask you, Mr. Dyer. May I bring Bert? I can hardly say no, as he's standing right here. Thank you, sir. Much obliged, Governor. I will have the case solved in ample time for the festivities, of that I am sure. Now, I think there's nothing else I need to ask. I'll telegraph, should need arise, in our usual cipher. Bert, you have the cab ready out front? Indeed I do. I hope you're having a bang-up day, Miss Brooke. Indeed I am. I hope you can say the same. Right, I can. I was just telling Elsie I was straight to the sweet stuff shop this morning, payday and all. Then I ran a punter over to the dock, but it turns out he was a blackleg. So I took him on a dock and dive and pulled some extra brass out of him. A bang-up morning all around. We use the Queen's English in this office, Mr. Elm. Not this... I'm not even sure what to call it. I believe Bert is using what is sometimes known as the cabman's vernacular. Right as rain you are. Any butter boy knows it by the time he knocks off his first shift. A butter boy is a new cabbie. You get accustomed to it with time. I'm not going to get accustomed to it because I'm not going to hear it in the office. Honour bright, Governor. Queen's English from here on out. <sighs> I'd like you to take me to the police station, Bert. And after that, over to Southside for the evening's penny readings. Oh, I think you'll find that there's nothing you can learn from the police that I haven't already told you, Miss Brooke. Your information was quite thorough as always, Mr. Dyer. I merely want to examine the black bag mentioned in the paper and take a tracing of its extraordinary letter. Good day. The fatal day has arrived. 
I can exist no longer. Search diligently for my poor lifeless body. But if you don't mind waiting for me here by the door, I'll happily pay you double fare for the trouble. I appreciate the offer, Miss Loveday. I'm afraid I'm a bit stony broke right now. We got a butter boy in the sweet stuff shop, and I fancy he's been pinching from the payout. When the brass was stumped up this morning, more than a few of us were short. If you need any help finding proof of fraud, please let me know. I sure will, miss. For now, I'll hold up by the door of this boozer and keep an eye. Sweet death, I greet thee. I dare not sign my name. To one and all, farewell. Oh, my poor Marchioness mother, a dying kiss to thee. Ah, I, P, ah. I was quite taken with your oration. May I ask the author? Who says it's not my own words? <laughs> I say it's not, Joe. Because I've got the book in right here. And who says I didn't write the whole book? Let me buy the book from you. Will two shillings suffice? Oh, my civvy. Have any book of mine you'd like. <laughs> Doubled your money there, Molly. How about investing it in another round for old Joe? Oh, get yourself an half point on me, you old patterer. In Dublin's fair city, <laughs> where the girls are... So I'm ready to go, Bert. Between here and our stop at the police station, I've obtained what I need. And what's that, miss? Evidence A. Loveday Brooke arrived at the Addington train station at 11 o'clock the following morning. Inspector Bates of Scotland Yard, I presume? You got me, Miss Detective. <laughs> uh, we look as safe here as anywhere for a confidential chat. I'll take your bag, and anyone that happens to pass will think I'm helping you find a ride. Quite a simple affair this is, Miss Brooke. And if that girl does not find herself in jail before another week is done, my name isn't Jeremiah Bates. You're speaking of the French maid? Who else? There's little doubt she unlocked the safe, and the window too. You see, I look at it this way, Miss Brooke. All girls have lovers, but a pretty girl like that French maid is bound to have double the number of lovers than a plain girl. The greater the number of lovers, the greater the chance there is of a criminal being found among them. That's as plain as a pike staff, isn't it? Dizzyingly plain. In a day or two, if we let her alone, she'll be bolting off to join the fellow, and we shall catch the peril. Oh, here is one of the young lovers now. This fellow in the buggy is young Mr. Holt. His father farms land about a couple of miles from here. Are you Miss Brooke? Your aunt has sent me to pick you up. I would be much obliged. I'll take my bag. Uh, but I wasn't half finished. Thank you for your help, Mr. Bates. But it looks as if I have found a ride. Good day. As you say. Uh, good day, miss. 
Mr. Holt. I'll just, uh... <clears throat> I'll be getting back to the hotel, then. I'll take your bag, miss. I'm James Holt. I live just down the road from the big house. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Holt, and thank you for the ride. It was very kind of my aunt to think of it. I'm sure you must have a lot to do, and I don't want to inconvenience you, so you can put me down at the nearest point to Craig and Court that you will pass. I don't mind, miss. I thought I might stop in and just say hello while I was there. I'm sure my aunt will be pleased to see you. Oh yes, her. I mean, of course, miss. I'd never visit without saying a kind word to Mrs. Williams, but you see, there's another girl there, and I thought that I might also say hello to her as well. Miss Stephanie. Oh, yes. I know the name. Stephanie's Lady Cathro's French maid, is she not? Don't believe a word that you've been told about her. There was trouble at Cragen Court. Some valuable jewellery was stolen the other night, you see. Yes, my aunt has written to me all about it. How horrible it must be for the girl. In circumstances such as these, suspicion frequently fastens on an entirely innocent person. That's it. That's it. That man you were talking to just now, he's investigating the robbery and he's fastened on poor Stephanie as the guilty party faster than you can think. But I swear to you, she is as innocent as you or I. I'll stake my life on it. She is a lucky girl to have found one to believe in her as you do. Do you think so? I wish she'd take advantage of her luck then. Great heavens, I'd marry her tomorrow if I had the chance. Will you tell her what I've said if you get the opportunity? And ask her to see me? If only for five minutes. If I have the opportunity, I'll deliver your message to her. I can't thank you enough, Miss... And, and here I am, standing and talking when I should be driving you there. My buggy is right this way. Hello, Mrs. Williams. Here's your niece, safe and sound. I was wondering if I could speak. I know who you want to speak to, James Holt. And Stephanie is busy with some sewing for her ladyship. Of course. If you tell her I stopped by... I'll see to it that she gets your message. I'm grateful for you driving my niece over from the station. But if you don't mind clearing out now so the two of us can have our reunion. Yes, ma'am. Goodbye, Miss Brooke. He's a dear boy, but what he knows about Corton could fit in a thimble. Give her space to breathe, I told him. But he just can't help it, I'm sure. Here you are, dear. Why don't you come into the kitchen? Take off your wraps. I've got a hot cup of tea waiting for you. It's the least I could do for my favourite niece. Mrs. Williams, both your assistance and your hospitality are greatly appreciated. I know a thing or two about hosting. My late husband was in trade. He had visitors all the time, we did. And I know what you'll be wanting, too, and I've already made it up for you. Here is all the names of the guests Sir George and my lady had over here the night of the burglary, and everyone we entertained downstairs to boot. It seems as if I am to be continually thanking you, Mrs. Williams. This will be important evidence for our investigation. I'll label it Evidence B. Everyone of importance in the village seems to have been here for the party. Even the rector. Does he often attend? Every year he does. 
A rector who puts on airs and refuses to socialise with the better families wouldn't last long in Addington. I see you have your own festivities downstairs as well. Dancing, theatricals and all that sort of thing. We begin our evening with a concert and recitations in character. Then we have a supper and dance right on till morning. Our ball gets going as my lady's ball starts winding down. We have permission to ask our friends to join. And we keep it up as late as ever we please. I suppose some of your friends are very clever as musicians or reciters? Very clever indeed. Sir George and my lady are always present during the early part of the evening. And I should like you to have seen Sir George last year, laughing fit to kill himself at Harry Emmett, dressed in prison dress, reciting the noble convict. <laughs> Sir George said if the young man had gone on the stage, he would have made his fortune. <laughs> More tea? Half a cup, please. Who was this Harry Emmett, then? A sweetheart of one of the maids? Oh, he would flirt with them all. But he was a sweetheart to none. He had a way about him that drew the girls in, but he wasn't one to play favourites. He liked to hang about in the kitchen when he wasn't busy, and he was such a bright, handsome young fellow, and so full of fun, that no one minded having him here. But I shall tire you with all this, and you, of course, want to talk about something very different. Not at all. I'm greatly interested in your festivities. I don't see a Harry Emmett on the list you gave me. Was there a falling out? Not at all. I'm sorry to say he left his post about six months ago to look after his grandmother. He knew his duty and chose to do right by family. He was a good, kind-hearted young man. I'm sure you don't see so many of that type in your line of work, Miss Brooke. <laughs> you might be surprised, Mrs. Williams. Good, kind-hearted men are just as often not what they appear. Your profession has made you a cynic. A sceptic, rather. And it's really the other way around. I was drawn to detective work because I possess a natural scepticism of people and their motives. Babes are not born sceptical, Miss Brooke. Surely there was a singular instance that set you on your path to lady detective? There was, in fact. My father is a banker, or he was, until a great deal of money was found missing from the bank ledger. The money had been mismanaged in small amounts here and there, over a period of time so as to avoid detection. My father was held responsible for the error, as it was politely called. But he wasn't responsible, was he? He did not steal the money. So, in that sense, no, he wasn't. But he was the manager of the bank, and therefore responsible for all the goings-on within its walls. Was the thief ever discovered? I was determined that he should be. I looked through the books of every account, and the trail of the theft was not very cleverly concealed. And? My uncle embezzled the money. A good, kind-hearted man who brought me sweets whenever he visited. Hence the skepticism. What did you do? I told my father, but he already knew. He had seen the discrepancies in the ledger, but couldn't bring himself to accuse his own brother. My father was ruined. And what about you? I went to work. And here I am today. And now, Mrs. Williams, perhaps you can tell me when it will be convenient for me to see Lady Cathro's dressing room? Now is as good a time as we're likely to get. Lady Cathro is having luncheon out today, so we won't be in her way. Here is her ladyship's room, and there is the safe. To be let, 
unfurnished. I see. Mrs. Williams, what do you make of this writing? I don't hardly know, except that it's in bad taste, the joke is. What are you doing? I am copying the message so that I can examine the handwriting closer. I understand. Evidence C. <laughs> exactly. Tell me, Mrs. Williams, is Stephanie still employed here? Yes, she is. Sir George and my lady have been goodness itself to her. They say we are all innocent till we are proved guilty, and will have it that none of our duties are to be in any way altered. I can imagine Stephanie's hardly fit to perform her duties. She was in hysterics nearly from morning till night for the first two or three days after the robbery. But now she's grown sullen, eats nothing, and never speaks a word to anyone except when she's obliged. What can you tell me of the coat and hat room? There's not much to it. There's the window and a chair just next to it, and garment hooks on the walls, coats, hats, much as you would expect. Is the chair always placed next to the window? Oh, yes. It's a warm corner. My lady is particular that everyone who comes to the house with a message should have a comfortable place to wait in. On the night of the robbery, when was the open window noticed? I believe it was during supper. One of our girls, Emily, saw it was open and closed it straight away. Thank you. You've been very helpful, Mrs. Williams. I shall be glad if you will show me to my room now. Is that all? The gentleman detective spent over an hour in this room. They paced the floor, they measured the candles, they touched near everything. Gentlemen are not gifted with the skill of observation as we women are. What takes a man hours to see, I can observe far more quickly. I'm sure you found this to be true in your own life too, Mrs. Williams. And now, I'd like to find my room and settle into the household routine. Will you be needing someone to help you unpack? An excellent idea. You can send Stephanie. I'm afraid she's not going to give you much help. Not with the state she's been in. I shall manage all the same. Thank you, Mrs. Williams. That will be all for now. I suppose it's Stephanie's company and not her help that she's looking for. Seeing the things men miss and indulging in a bit of gossip. Those are a woman's skills, all right. It's a wonder that police departments have been full of men for this long. Stephanie, and I am here to help you unpack Mademoiselle Brooke. No need for such formality. You may call me Love Day. Two hands make the work go by quicker, I always say. Your English is very good, Stephanie. Have you been here long? Yes, I am here for ten months. And where were you before this? Les Maurices in Paris. Lady Catherine took a holiday at Les Maurices. She found my service excellent and offered me a job. Le Maurice? What glamour! You must miss it. Oui, but glamour is not cheap. It is not so expensive to live here. I imagine the English countryside must seem rather dull compared to Paris. Yes, of course. There is nothing here for amusement. Lady Cathro said she lives very near to London, but it is much farther than she says. But now I am used to it, and it is not so bad. To live in a city with much to do and not have the money to do any of the things is not what I wanted. You see, 
Here I save money, and when I go back to Paris, I can enjoy life more. <laughs> and now they will send me to jail! And that is worse! <laughs> you won't be sent to jail if you haven't done anything wrong. Oh, the police! They hate me because I am not from here, and my English is very poor. <laughs> the unpacking is mostly done. Why don't I finish here and you can go to your room and tidy yourself up before dinner? Oh, I do not feel like eating, Mademoiselle Loveday. I am sick with fear always now. Pardon. <laughs> I don't hold well being late to church. Stephanie! But I don't like to leave her to walk on her own either. You go ahead, Mrs. Williams. I'll accompany Stephanie to church. I'm grateful. It doesn't look good. Strolling into service late as if the Lord was waiting on me. Must I go? The wrath of Mrs. Williams will far exceed that of our saviour if he aren't at Sunday service. Come, we'll walk together. Mr. Holt. Hello, Stephanie. I am here to walk you to church, if you'll have me. No, I cannot. I am going with Mademoiselle Loveday. Goodbye, James. Begging your pardon, Stephanie. I have to know. Why won't you speak to me anymore? We were having a nice time, I thought, and I don't know what I did to make you go off of me, but I apologize for it, whatever it might be. You, you cannot understand. I know I don't have a lot to offer. I'm just a farmer, and you deserve better. I know it. But I would do anything for you, Stephanie. It is not that. Is it because of the robbery? I don't give a hang about the scandal. I really don't. The rest of the world can... Well... They can go to hell. I told you before, I'd like to marry you, and I still intend to if you'll have me. You're the best girl I know. No, I am not. Je ne peux pas te poser. You are a very nice man, but je ne suis pas. I am... I am not. Je ne suis pas le fille que vous pensez que je suis. Oh. <laughs> I don't understand. She says that she cannot marry you because she is not the girl you think she is. I'm sorry, but I must follow her. I'm afraid this was not a very good time for a marriage proposal. Shake it off, Mr. Holt, as best as you can, and come talk it out with me later if you choose. Good day. You'll put in a word for me? If you get the chance? Miss Brooke? Thank you for speaking to me, Rector. I found this morning's sermon very inspiring. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? If I can provide my parish with any little comfort through God's words during these trying times, then I'm content. But, Miss Brooke, you must call me Mr. Thomas. Everyone else here does. 
A title like Rector can get a little unwieldy in a place like Addington. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. Mrs. Williams at Court is my aunt, and I'm visiting for the holidays. Such a lovely hall. You've been there, I'm sure? Many times. I haven't missed Sir George's Christmas party since I came here. And at that party every year, your aunt serves the best figgy pudding in England. Then you were there for the robbery. What a horrible, unchristian thing to happen. And on Christmas especially. Indeed it was. But let's not dwell on the unpleasantness of it any more today. Not while the sun is shining and we have a plate of excellent biscuits right here waiting to be enjoyed. Sit down, Miss Brooke. I'll get some tea going. Please, have a biscuit. No, thank you. Suit yourself. This is a lovely church. How many curates do you have working with you here? Just one. It's a rather small parish. Mr. Bramble, he's new to us, just came on in the last month. I'm afraid he has some rather large shoes to fill, but he's fitting in well. Did he replace someone? Oh, yes. A fine fellow, Henry Anderson, who was given his own parish in Brixton two months ago and quite deserved it, I will say. He has quite a stirring voice, a mastery of languages, and a fine feeling for both the good book and for rhetorical speaking. He'll go far, Henry will. We were lucky to have kept him here as long as we did. He was an admirer of your aunt's cooking as well. You'd always catch Henry downstairs talking one of the maids into giving him a second helping, and nearly always succeeding, I might add. He must be a very persuasive speaker indeed. It didn't hurt that he was rather easy on the eyes, or so I'm told. Have you kept in touch with Mr. Anderson? That's a funny thing, you asking that. When he first left, Henry was in the habit of riding every few days to let me know how he was settling in and to consult me about questions his parishioners might have. But I haven't had a letter from him in about a month. I admit I'm a little worried about the boy. Is there any special reason you'd like to know, Miss Brooke? I just wondered. You see, I read in the paper about a curate's black bag that was found near here and how its owner might have taken his own life. And I was worried it might be someone you knew. Oh, yes, the black bag. The whole thing seemed a little wrong around the edges to me, like something some of the boys around here might think was a laugh. Henry is a fine, grounded fellow and would never... Oh. Yes? I did wonder, just for a moment, mind you, if it might have been the poor fellow who came to see me. When was this? As a matter of fact, it was at the Craigen Court Christmas party, although it hardly holds any interest when compared to the rest of the night's events. Just the same. Would you mind telling me about him, please? I've been so worried about that poor fellow with the black bag. It has quite occupied my thoughts, and I feel I must know who it is. That's very charitable of you, Miss Brooke. If it'll put your mind at ease, a young clergyman came to see me that night at Craigen Court. He heard that the parish wanted a new curate and travelled down from London to offer his services. He had been, he said, to the rectory and had been told by the servants where I was dining and had come straight there. Now, this was the vacancy that I had already filled. I suppose you were a bit cross at being interrupted. 
I can't say that I wasn't. I'm afraid I told him rather sharply that I didn't want to curate. But then the poor fellow looked so disappointed, my heart softened, and I told him to sit down and rest in the hall before he attempted the walk back to the station. It was a cold night, so I asked one of the girls to send him out a glass of mulled wine. When I heard of the curate's bag and the letter, I did fear, at first, that it was from this young clergyman. But I must reassure you, when I read the letter I was instantly relieved. This poor fellow was quite sincere, and that letter was not. I'm certain you're absolutely right and have nothing to worry about with that young man. Thank you, Mr. Thomas, for speaking with me. I'll take my leave now. I have a busy morning ahead of me. Of course, Miss Brooke. It was a pleasure. And when you get back to Craigen Court, if you don't mind telling Mrs. Williams that we're planning the Twelfth Night Bazaar and I'm counting on her contribution. Your aunt's baked goods can always be trusted to bring in money for the congregation, especially her pies, if you don't mind hinting at that. I will pass your message along. And feel free to stop by whenever you'd like. My door is always open. Hmm. Between Mr. Bramble, Mr. Anderson, and now this fellow from Christmas Eve, there are far too many curates in this affair. I'm glad you're back. It's Stephanie. We were just starting dinner, and she didn't come down to the table, and we've looked through the whole house, and she's nowhere to be found. Has she packed a bag? Her clothes and cases are still in her room. The only thing missing that I can make out is her hat and coat. What can that mean, Miss Brooke? Either Stephanie doesn't need her things wherever she's going, or her disappearance was sudden and not of her own choosing. Do you mind if I take a look myself? Not at all. I'm sure I don't want to think what this could mean, Miss Brooke. I've told Sir George and he's asked that London detective to come round and investigate. I just hope the poor girl's not gotten herself into any serious trouble. I sincerely hope that as well. While I look around here, Mrs. Williams, will you send a message for me? To the police? No, to Mr. Holt. Tell him that Stephanie has disappeared and I'd like him to come here first and then we'll try to find her together. Right away, miss. Oh, the poor foolish girl. This is the kind of behaviour that will convince Inspector Bates of her complicity. There must be something in her room to give us a clue as to where she's at. I just have to find it. Here we are. What does this say? Yes, I see. This is certainly evidence, Dean. You found something useful? Have you sent my message? It cannot wait, I'm afraid. Aye. The girl Emily has taken it over to the Holt place. And Inspector Bates is at the kitchen door and asking to have a word with you. <sighs> I anticipated that he might. Will you tell the inspector that I'll be down to speak with him in a moment? Of course, miss. H. Hmm... Told you so, told you so. Now, didn't I, Miss Brooke? 
The girl has bolted, and I'd lay good money on her having caught the afternoon train for the coast, where she'll be followed every step of the way. Only yesterday, I sent a man to Dover, and he'll hunt her down before she can reach France, or my name isn't Jeremiah Bates. I've been to Stephanie's room, and she hasn't taken a single garment with her. It's hardly the choice a girl would make when traveling. What does that matter? With 1,500 pounds in jewelry, she can buy new clothes. <laughs> She'll arrive in Dover and walk straight into her lover's arms. We'll have them both before another 48 hours are over our heads, or my name's not Jeremiah. Yes, I know your name. Aren't you the least concerned about who the lover is? Why should I be? I'll know soon enough when the girl leads us to him. <laughs> what are you going to do now? Now? I'm off to Dover. I should get there in the nick of time for an arrest. Why are you so sure that she's fled there? Think about it, Miss Brooke. Surely even a woman can put the pieces together on this. All the girl wants is enough money to return to Paris and live it up. The train goes to Dover and the boats leave from Dover. It's simple. Is it? I can see another possible destination for the girl. The stream that runs through the wood. It's Dover. Mark my words on that. <sighs> Good night, Mr. Bates. I must go join the servants. I imagine they'll want to sit up until news is received. Not much good in that. I told Sir George that we wanted to follow her silently so we could surprise the two. A much better way to get that loot back that way, too. It was in perfect agreement. No use for you to wait up for news that isn't coming. The less you hear, the better for us, you see. I see perfectly, Mr. Bates. Of course, as soon as you have any news, you'll send it up to Sir George so it may reach us in a timely manner. I'll do you one better. I'll come back and tell you myself. A good day to you, Mrs. Williams. Miss Loveday, I've just spoken with Sir George. He says we're not to say a thing about Stephanie going missing. So I understand, Mrs. Williams. I'm glad that you sent Emily out when you did. If we hadn't passed that message along to Mr. Holt, I don't believe a soul outside this house would know of her disappearance. That doesn't sit right with me, Miss Brooke. It's better to have the alarm up. I couldn't agree more. I fear it may be a long night waiting for news. If you put the kettle on, we'll all settle in. Mrs. Williams! What's the matter, Emily? Be quick about it. James Holt wasn't in, ma'am. And his mother didn't know where he'd got to or when he'd be back. When did she see him last? Oh, I didn't think to ask. No matter. Did you leave my message? I left it with Mrs. Holt. She said she'd pass it along to him when he returned. I'm afraid this rather changes matters. Do you suppose the two of them could have run off together? Oh, I wouldn't have thought it of him. He's such a nice-looking boy to go get himself mixed up with a robbery. I'm afraid we have to consider that a possibility. But we also can't ignore the chance that Stephanie is in serious trouble. The police are looking for her in Dover. I think we may need to search here for the girl ourselves. The two of us? The three of us would be better. If Emily is game. Three will cover far more ground than two. Mum? We'd be better off getting the men to start a search for the girl. Respectfully, Mrs. Williams, I disagree. You know the area. Emily is a strong runner, and I am a detective. In my estimation, we are singularly qualified for this job. A detective? Mrs. Williams, did you know? Of course I did, Emily. Now listen to Miss Brooke, and do exactly what she asks of you. Do you think we stand a chance of finding her? I don't know, but we certainly have to try. Stephanie! 
Have you found anything over there, Mrs. Williams? I'm afraid not. Stephanie! I can't hardly see anything anymore. Miss Brooke, the light is gone and the cold is setting in. I'm afraid we've done the best we can do. Let's head back and we'll get the kettle going. We may still hear something before the night is over. I can't stop thinking about it, Mrs. Williams. Do you think Stephanie really stole all those jewels? I'm not sure what to think. And with Mr. Holt a part of it as well, I just hope she hasn't gotten herself into more trouble than she can handle. And at Christmas time too. It's all but spoiled the holiday for me. And heaven knows it's for your spoilt holiday that we're all sitting here worrying, Emily. Tell me more about the Christmas parties. Perhaps talking about something merry will bring us some cheer. They are merry. It's something you look forward to all year. The songs and the sweetbreads, the wassail. They are something special, that's the truth. A time for everyone to gather together. No matter your station in life, all was welcome, and all had a good time. You look forward to seeing the familiar faces, and you feel the hole left in your heart from those who've moved on. It was a poor crowd this year, for certain. So many of the young men have left. Harry Emmett was always a bit of fun, but he's gone. And Henry Anderson's left now, too. Mr. Anderson was the former curate? That's right. I'd always find him hanging around the kitchen when he should have been upstairs. He'd come calling with the rector, and then the two of them would take turns sneaking downstairs. Mr. Anderson would always say he was escaping a dull moment and join in with us for a spell. He loved the Christmas recitations. He has a powerful speaking voice himself. The new curate, Mr. Bramble, can't hold a candle to his sermons. And Henry Anderson was a good sight nicer to look at than Mr. Bramble is. I can't hardly listen to his sermons. I'm too busy staring at his ears. Emily! How can they stick out that far? I get to wondering all kinds of things about ears when I look at Mr. Bramble. That's no way to speak about a man of God. What would Mr. Anderson recite at the Christmas party? He was keen on a bit of Shakespeare. He always did the same piece. The quality of mercy is not strained. It is blessed two times. Oh, I don't remember how it all goes, but I missed hearing it this year. I expect a reminder about mercy could have done some folks good. And what about Mr. Holt? Did he take part in the recitations? <laughs> James Holt? Don't you believe it. He's a sweet lad, but he's not one for speaking. Now, when it comes to music, that's where the boy shines. Why, he could turn anything in this house into an instrument. Last year, he brought his harmonica and, uh, Emily, what was that beautiful song he played? You remember, Mr. Anderson and Stephanie sang along. How could I know? They sang in French. I didn't understand a word of it. Don't be foolish. The words might have been in French, but you'd still know the tune. Now, what was it? My favourite part of the party is the dancing. The truth comes out. Except that it was better last year. There weren't nearly enough young men to dance with this year. James Holt would only dance with Stephanie. And when she wouldn't have him, he spent the rest of the night brooding in the corner. I wish Harry Emmett hadn't left. And that's the second time you've mentioned that boy. It's like I told you, Miss Brooke. He'll flirt with them all. I trust he's finding life at his grandmother's place a little quieter than it was here. What a sweet young man he is for going to care for her. I thought he was off to make it as a cabbie. You don't know what you're saying. He told me himself right before he left. He was off to look after his grandma, who had a sweet stuff shop somewhere or other. But where I 
Can't remember. Is that what he said exactly? Oh, I can't say exactly. I remember him mentioning his grandma and the shop, but the details are a little murky, which is to be expected at my age. Did he mention where his grandmother lives? Some part of London, if I recall. Mr. Thomas mentioned that at a Christmas party, he was called away from dinner to speak to a young man inquiring about the curate's position. The young man was told to take a seat and warm up and a glass of wine would be sent to him. I presume he was set to wait in the chair in the coat and hat room? That would be the natural place. Who took him his wine? I did. Well, I intended to, but the fellow had left by the time I got there. I think I understand everything perfectly now. Miss Brooke! Oh, God be thanked. Mr. Holt, you haven't run off with her after all. I received your message. Where is Stephanie? She's still missing, I'm afraid, and we're going to need your help finding her. It's a matter of grave importance that we find her as soon as we can. I'll find her, or I will die trying. I appreciate the sentiment, but I'm afraid that's not a very practical solution. Mr. Holt, you told Stephanie the other day that you were willing to marry her. Are you still of that mind? In an instant, Miss Loveday. I don't care one stitch for whatever trouble that she is in. Now listen carefully to me, Mr. Holt. Stephanie is in trouble, but it's not what you are imagining. I feel confident that she is innocent of any association with the robbery, but her trouble is of a far more personal nature. I don't understand. And it's not up to me to make it clear to you. But rest assured, if you truly love the girl and are willing to stand by her and provide her with a life and home free from judgment, I think you'll find that Stephanie does care for you. Of course. I would never in an instant think of doing anything Free to from judgment, Mr. Holt. I must stress that point. I swear. Good. Now I must return to London this instant. I leave the search in your capable hands. Mrs. Williams, will you promise to send a telegraph to the Lynch Court office as soon as you have news? Of course I will. And you do the same if you find her first. Thank you. I certainly will. Lynch Court office? What could she possibly mean? Never you mind, Mr. Holt. We have work to do. Emily and I will explain everything later. Busy morning, Mr. Dyer. A score of telegrams have come in for you. This first one is from Inspector Bates of Scotland Yard. New development in the Craig Court case. Stop. The French maid has made a run for it. Stop. No more need for your girl. Call her off. <laughs> Call her off a case. Wild horses couldn't drag Loveday off an investigation before she's seen it through. And this one came just before you arrived. I trust it will make clear your course of action. It's from Miss Loveday. I've already labelled it as Evidence D. <laughs> Wonderful! Miss Elm, get me Bert. I need a ride to the London Cab Association. Loveday, is he here? Have you got him over? Harry Emmett is out taking his lunch, but I've been assured that he should be back any minute. What makes you so sure that we're to find our crook at the London Cab Drivers Association? He works here, although not for much longer, I'd imagine. In addition to being the perpetrator of the Craigen Court robbery, I have it on good authority that he's been skimming from the weekly payouts to the drivers. Mm. Once a crook has met with success, he is unlikely to alter his course. 
Have you notified the police? I have, and Inspector Bates will be descending upon us from Dover as soon as his train will allow. The Yard has given us a couple of bobbies for backup in the meantime. Mr. Harry Emmett? That is correct, ma'am. And what stroke of luck has led a pretty picture of a woman such as yourself to know my name? As luck would have it, I am acquainted with some friends of yours. And now, I'd like you to meet one of mine. This is my employer, Mr. Dyer. <laughs> Mr. Emmett, I have in my hand a warrant for your arrest for the Craigen Court robbery. You'd better come along quietly. To resist would be an effort in futility. Oop. Bloody hell! Harry Emmett led the police officers on a hectic chase around the building. He's making a run for it! Up and down the street and through any natural obstacle he could find. Make way! In the meantime, Loveday Brook walked purposefully to the door of the Cab Association and disappeared inside, returning only a moment later holding an umbrella. As Harry Emmett bolted towards the door, Loveday extended the umbrella and in one fluid movement, tripped the suspect, knocking him flat on his back. With the tip of the umbrella poised over his neck and her boot positioned on his chest, Loveday kept Harry Emmett pinned until the police caught up. Capital Loveday! How on earth did you learn to stop a man like that? I'm a great follower of Dr. Kellogg's calisthenic exercises. An agile body is an asset to an agile mind. I have merely repurposed some of the movements here. <laughs> I'm afraid the lady's actions aren't quite as funny to me. I fear she's broken a rib. I request to be taken to a hospital instead of the station. Oh, there's nothing broken, lad. But you'll have a nasty bruise. I can promise that. You should have heeded my warning. I did caution the man against resisting arrest, did I not, Loveday? You most certainly did. Ah, Inspector Bates. Just the man we were looking for. We have placed this gentleman under arrest and are prepared to hand him off to you. Well, uh, what? But, but I... Who is this bloke? Ah, yes. This is Mr. Harry Emmett, the culprit of the Craigen Court robbery. Uh, but, uh, but, I don't even know who that is. How's that fair? Here, here. It's hardly fair for the inspector to first meet the suspect this late in the adventure. This is highly irregular. Nevertheless, this man is your thief. As this seems to be all sorted somehow, I'll take this lad down to the station. Much obliged for your help, Miss Brooke. Just one moment, if you please. If I may appeal to the sentimental nature of the lady, how is it that these fellows and yourself tracked me down? If you weren't so keen on a joke, Mr. Emmett, you might have gotten away with your spoils. I'm afraid that's a bit cryptic even for me. To be let unfurnished. <laughs> oh, it was too good a joke to pass up, I'm afraid. And now, alas, the fatal day has arrived. To one and all, farewell. Oh, my poor Marchioness mother, a dying kiss to thee. Well, how do you know that? I too own a copy of the reciter's treasury, Mr. Emmett. Aren't you a tartar? No, when you're licked, I always say. Take me away, governor. And now, shall we return to the office where I can recount the whole story? Not possible. We've closed the office at midday today. That's right. It's Twelfth Night. <laughs> Head up to your apartments and get yourself cleaned up, Love Day. I expect you at my home at 4pm, where you can catch all of us up on the case after dinner. Until then.
fire. Now that dinner's over, perhaps we could indulge in a little business. <sighs> now, now, I don't mean anything serious. No notes need be taken, Miss Elm. Mr. Dyer, since we are attending a Christmas dinner at your apartments, you may call me Elsie if you wish. Ah, well, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, I suppose you're right. Uh, Christian names all around for tonight. I'm afraid we don't know your Christian name, Mr. Dyer. No, I suppose not. I don't use it much after all. <laughs> <coughs> Ebenezer. <laughs> As in... Ebenezer Scrooge? Yes, well, my mother was a great admirer of Mr. Dickens. She attended one of his public recitations of A Christmas Carol in 53, and it was a sort of great inspiration when I was born several days hence. <laughs> and now, shall we get back to work? Bah, humbug. Please, Mr. Scrooge, it's Christmas. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I suppose we could wait until tomorrow. Not a lick of it. Here in our love day cracks the case is more entertaining than anything Charles Dickens might have put on paper. We're only teasing. Of course we want to hear. In that case, love day, tell us how you came to the cabbie. It all came down to personality. When I read the newspaper account of both the robbery and the black bag, it was clear that the perpetrator of both incidents had a sense of humor. And then there was something about the phrasing of the mock suicide letter that seemed familiar. Then I remembered. Some two or three years back, my professional duties took me to the penny readings held in South London. I went once again before I left. Ah, that's what that was all about. One book of selected readings was a great favorite among the reciters. Here it is. Now, Elsie, if you will run your eye down the index column, you will find the titles of the pieces. A Sunny Day in Seville. The Suicide's Farewell. To Be Let Unfurnished. By Jove! The second piece supplies the allusions to the doomed sinner in the letter. The third piece, to be let unfurnished, is a foolish little poem enough, and it goes... Kindly refrain from reciting it. <sighs> when I arrived at Cragen Court, I compared the handwriting from the tracing I took of the letter to the message scrawled on the safe, and I was certain that they were written by the same hand. I had also learned that the servants' Christmas party regularly included recitations, so I turned my attention to the downstairs guests. I unearthed two possible suspects, Harry Emmett, footman, and Henry Anderson, curate. Now, the curate's black bag seemed to suggest Mr. Anderson as our culprit, but, you see, he always recited Shakespeare at the Christmas party. Harry Emmett, on the other hand, was the comedian of the festivities and a general lover and scamp to boot. And so it was Harry Emmett, in the guise of a young clergyman, who visited Cragen Court that night. I was told by Mrs. Williams that he was a splendid actor and would surely have made a success of it on the stage. Along with the curate's dressings, the black bag contained tufts of wool, grease pencils and spirit gum, the tools of any amateur actor when assuming characters. So Harry Emmett, dressed as a curate, called on the rector that night, and as soon as he was left sitting in the hall chair, he made straight for Lady Cathro's room. That's some cheek! And once the jewels were secured, he returned to the hall, unlatched the window, and made his escape. So the French maid had nothing to do with it at all? I must say, it looked very bad for her. But Inspector Bates was correct in one thing only. Stephanie's lovers were an important feature of the case. Aha! Harry Emmett had been courting the girl. No. 
but someone else was. James Holt was in love with the girl, everyone knew that, but Stephanie had another more secretive love affair. With whom? I think it was no coincidence that Harry Emmett chose the role of a curate for his performance. I found love letters in Stephanie's room signed H. I am confident that her lover was Henry Anderson, former Addington curate. Well. Stephanie was lonely and Henry Anderson was by all accounts a good-looking young man and he spoke French. A love affair was inevitable. A man of the cloth. What a scoundrel. It gets worse, I'm afraid. In his letter, he alluded to Stephanie's troubles and suggested that there was nothing he could do to help. Now, a man of God has a responsibility to offer words of peace and guidance to a troubled soul. I fear that Stephanie's troubles were more... intimately linked with Mr. Anderson than he would have liked. Oh, the puffed-up rotter! Oh, blister the choker if I ever meet him! Yes, the man is a villain, but I'm afraid we're wandering from the main mystery. What I'd like to know, Loveday, is how you discovered Harry Emmett was in London. For that, I must give full credit to Bert. Mrs. Williams told me that Harry Emmett was going to look after his dear old grandmother, who kept a sweet stuff shop in London. <laughs> Ain't that the end? The cabman's vernacular takes the egg. Would you care to translate? We call the cabbie association Dear Old Grandmother. On account of it keeping us in brass, the sweet stuff shop is where they divvy up our weekly allowance. Bert mentioned that a new hire in the payroll department was shorting the driver's money. When I realized what profession Harry Emmett had gone into, I knew that we'd found our man. Oh, it's capital from first to last. You've surpassed yourself this time, love day. The only thing that saddens me is the thought of the possible fate of that poor girl, Stephanie. Perhaps I can relieve your anxieties there. Right before the office closed, I received a telegram from Mrs. Williams at Craigen Court. Here it is. <gasps> She's been found! Stephanie found unconscious on Riverbank by J.H. Stop. Girl is recovering at Holt Farm. Stop. Expect news about wedding soon. Ah. <sighs> A satisfactory ending all around. To another successfully concluded case. Cheers to you, Love Day. Cheers. Cheers.